0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church.
1: The scripture text for today's sermon is Acts 2, verses 36 through 41. Acts 2, 36 through 41. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this Sunday
0: is the last Sunday in the sermon series Strengthened by Grace, and, and uh, it just seemed fitting to me to spend time doing what the Apostle Paul says to do, and what the writer to Hebrews says to do, is just being conscious of being strengthened by God's grace, because everything that we are, and everything that we do, and everything that we hope for, is rooted in the grace of God to us, in Christ, and and it ranges from the origins of our salvation from before the foundation of the world to our calling and our believing in Christ and repenting and in faith and and to our daily life as a Christian, living for the glory of God, trusting Him, trusting His promises, and we rely on His grace all the way into glory. And we'll rely on His grace forever. So it's it's this this hope in, in our God and all that He promises to be for us in Christ and to do for us in Christ is the strengthening power that enables us to live by faith, enjoying Him and living for His glory. So, in the series, I'm just going to review, I'm going to change the order a little bit because we had different reasons for tweaking the order. But in the series, we, we just said we need God's strengthening grace. To worship, to be sanctified, to love one another, to serve one another, to be merciful people to the people that we're around. We need God's strengthening grace for for missions, his strengthening grace for unity as a as a church, as a people. We need his strengthening grace for generosity was last week, and, and one of the contexts, one of the primary contexts we we talked about where God strengthens us by His Word and His Spirit is when we gather together as believers in the church, in, in big groups like this and in smaller groups, week in and week out, and so that's where we've been. Next Sunday is Advent, and uh, if you've been view- viewing online, let me just use the advent as an occasion to call you to come back and join us. It's cold out there, but, but it's warm in here. And uh, uh, come and, and join us for worship, because one of the contexts in which God strengthens us by His grace is when we gather, when we want another. So, that's next week. But this week, the sermon is titled, Strengthened by Grace for the Next Generation. And my aim is that through the promise of the text here is that we would be strengthened by God's grace to love, to care for, to disciple and teach, to pray for our, our own children and the children of this church in a renewed way because of the promise here of God's grace. So let me, let me pray that God would do it with great thankfulness for the, for the graces given already in this ministry to children. So, Father in heaven, first of all, I do want to thank you for the grace that you've given to Bethlehem as a, as a people, as a local church, to be a people who cares about the faith of the next generation. Thank you. To be a people who who labors? Who volunteers? Seventeen people in the nursery. Uh, Seventeen workers, volunteers serving in the nursery, so that the parents could go to the seminar yesterday. And then the teachers right now, and the people changing diapers downstairs right now, and the, and the people that are that are working with uh, Andrew Ballard in the in the senior high and junior high, and that team, and and Bud and all his team working in family discipleship. I just thank you for the graces given in serving the next generation. And so in this sermon, I just pray for more grace, more resolve, more energy, more faith to to engage and labor in the Lord, knowing that our labor is never, ever, ever in vain. So come and help us strengthen your people in this grace for the next generation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's only natural as those who know Christ that we want and we desire that our our children and our our family members come to know Jesus as well. And, and yet it's true, most of us have family members who've, who've never known Christ. I mean, in some cases it might be our own children. Maybe we thought they knew Christ and as they moved into adulthood, it became apparent that they really never knew him and... This is a great sorrow for a lot of people. I, I didn't know, actually, that there was a fellowship of, a, of parents with adult children. And they kind of gather in little groups, and they say, Pray for my son. I pray for my daughter. I, I didn't know that until I became a parent of adult children. And I was kind of ushered into this invisible fellowship of, of people praying and praying and praying for, their, for, their, for the faith of their adult children even as we've prayed for the faith of our our children who are still children. Well, (laughs) and many of us in the journey of parenting have come alongside of our, our own children to, I mean, this is just basic Christian parenting, to disciple them, to teach them, to pray for them, to love them. To point them to Jesus and to meet them in their struggles and in their fears and in their spiritual doubts. This is parenting. This is Christian parenting. I'll tell you one story. Remember when one of our sons was about 14 years old he was struggling with all kinds of fears and doubts and a sense of condemnation from God and rejection and and uh and they were keeping him up through the night. Just fear. And so we, we gospeled him with the truths of the Bible. And, and uh, one of the things that we did is we pulled out the recording of his baby dedication. This is, do you know what a cassette tape is? <laughs> it, it's one of those, anyway. Um. A recording of, of the, his baby dedication. And, uh, and there were several nights there where we pushed play on the cassette tape recorder. And it played. Together with your parents who love you dearly and this people who care about the outcome of your faith, I dedicate you to God. Surrendering together with them all worldly claims upon your life in the hope that you will belong wholly to Jesus Christ forever with great joy amen and in that dedication as is true with all the verses that we brought to him we we are showing and declaring that our hope our hope for our child's salvation lies solely in the sovereign mercy of God to us in Christ Jesus. And he was comforted. And he was brought through those fears and, uh, and took heart, and he's, he's walking in the faith to this day. And then just two years ago, when our 25-year-old daughter unexpectedly died, we again recounted the same words of dedication. At our funeral service, we dedicate you to God, surrendering together all worldly claims upon your life in the hope that you will belong wholly to Jesus Christ forever with great joy. And we let go. And once again, we confess that our hope the salvation of our child is in the same place our hope for our own salvation is in the sovereign mercy and grace to us in christ jesus so there's no magic in those words it's not it's not an incantation it's a declaration that our hope is in the promise of god to us in the gospel through jesus christ you know the Apostle John says, "I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth," and uh, my heart just resonates that with that as a as a parent, and and I hope your heart resonates with that, whether you're a parent here or not. That to see our children, to see the next generation walking in the truth, is a source of great joy. Because you know the Apostle John, he, we, I tell you what we know—he's old, <laughs> and we don't know, even know if he had any children. But he keeps calling himself the elder. And then, what is it, 17 times in his three letters, he calls the people of the church, all of whom are surely younger than he is, my children, my little children. So he has this broad sense of who his children are. And he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So there's our hope as parents, as a people, that the children that our children and our grandchildren and the children of this church and the grandchildren the next generation would walk in the truth. You know, I want to say a word to children who are here in this in this service. This text has a message for you. It's got it's got a message for you. Um it's a, it's it's like it's like an, an email with your name on it. It's like an a Amazon package that, that's free. Like, it's for you. It, it's for you. And, and it says like, that, that Jesus, in all his power and authority, and all his love and forgiveness, and, and the promise of his spirit coming to dwell, and to live within you forever, it's for you. It's for you. And, and if you don't have it marked in your Bible, I'm talking to kids, but. You don't have to be a kid to mark it in your Bible. Just Acts 2.39. I love this verse. Acts 2.39. I mean, Peter's point is, this gospel is for, for all of us. And yet he stresses, it's for you. And for your children. And for all who are far off. So, whoever you are here in this room... This gospel of Jesus is for you. The Bible says so, Peter says so, it's for you. And if you're sitting here next to your parent, not only do you hear directly the gospel's for you, but you also hear the words to your parents, this gospel is for your children. It means as a child in this church, it's for you. It's for you. This gospel is for you and, and it is for all those who are far off And we had our global focus on purpose To not forget that To remind ourselves about that But here I want to stress This gospel is for you and for your children In other words, all that Jesus is And all that he's done And all that he promises for his people everywhere Is for you Yes, you He loves you. He gave his life for you to bring you into God's family forever. He will never lie. He will never forsake you. I remember my own conversion. I I grew up in the church. I'm telling you, every single Sunday I was in church in the whatever section of our, you know, we had a pew just like everybody else. I sat next to my parents all those years. I even wore a tie like my dad did you know, this big, and I'm wearing a little tie, and, uh, and I'm worshiping. I'm learning all those songs that I still know to this day, and I'm learning all these scriptures, and uh, I, I, I tend to think it was because I was the youngest in the family that my mom sent me to like three different vacation Bible schools in the summer, like just to get rid of this little kid, uh, but in the process between our church and Bible schools, I think I went to three, at least one summer, um, I learned a lot of verses. I learned a lot of Bible, and I learned a lot of worship songs. I, I remember learning, this is my father's world, across the street at Bible school. As a, I'm little, I don't know, first grader. So I had the benefit of growing up in the context of the church, in the context of believers. And and I was about to be 15. I was right right on or around my 15th birthday. I had gone to Bible camp for the first time and never been there. Never been to a Bible camp before. First night, I don't even know what was said, laying in my bunk. And the verses that I had learned... And the songs that I had learned about Christ and his grace came alive. It was for me. The promise was for me. And God granted me repentance to not be blind and numb to him as I had been, but to be awakened to him and to, to see in Jesus all I need and all I want and all his glory and who he is. I don't mean all, but to see glory and to be pulled in by faith like a tractor beam. So, you know, children, this gospel, this Jesus is for you. Let me climb into the context here. So we're just jumping into the tail end of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter one, we we know Jesus has risen from the dead and he taught his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit promised. And uh, that is an indicator of the new covenant. The new way that God is going to work as he promised in the Old Testament. He's going, he going to work. He's going to send his spirit to be within his people and cause them to walk in his ways. So Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus ascends to the heavens to sit at the right hand of God the Father where he reigns with all authority in heaven and on earth. And then in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the, the promise ...of the new covenant comes true. And God sends the Holy Spirit... ...upon all the disciples. And, and, uh, and they begin to speak in tongues... ...like other languages... ...that these... ...these... Uh, these uh, ...Jewish people... ...shouldn't even know. And so the crowd is amazed. And, and some of the people in the crowd around them... ...are thinking, well these people are just drunk. But then it's only noon. And they go, what is going on here? And at that point, they ask in verse 12 of chapter 2, what does this all mean? This, this Peter preaching about Jesus, this falling of the Holy Spirit as a sign of the new covenant, what does all this mean? And then Peter stands up and quiets the crowd and he preaches the gospel. And he points to the fulfillment of of three Old Testament promises that, have pro- fi- promises that have been fulfilled with the coming of Jesus. The first, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, look, this outpouring of the Spirit you're seeing, it was a promise prophesied by Joel in the Old Testament. This is Acts 2, 17 and 18. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and even on my male servants and female servants, I will pour out my Spirit, and they will prophesy. And then the second promise that Peter circles around is the promise of Christ crucified and risen. Peter says, look, this Messiah Christ promised in the Old Testament has come in the person of Jesus, and it was in the plan of God that he was crucified. And yet, Peter says, this is 2.24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And Peter says, that was foretold by King David in Psalm 16. And then the promise of Christ being exalted. Peter taught the crowd, not only has God raised Christ from the dead, but he has exalted him to reign as a superior king forever on David's throne at the right hand of God the Father. And he cited the prophecy of of King David himself uh, from Psalm, uh, this is in verse uh, uh, 234, I think it's Psalm 16. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. So the long-awaited promise of the new covenant has come to pass. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. Christ has come, crucified for his people, risen from the dead, exalted to the right hand of God. This is the promise that's coming true. The new covenant is here. And so the people say in verse 36, what should we do? That's where our text begins. Peter answers, we'll let... All the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. The people were moved. Verse thirty-seven, cut to the heart. It's a moment of crisis. Gospel has been declared. God is calling. The Spirit's at work and in the hearts of the people. He's opening their spiritual eyes. He's granting repentance, change of mind, to see. See the glory of Christ. You know, when God is at work like that in you, don't push it off. Don't say, well, maybe he'll be at work like that tomorrow. I mean, the Bible's really clear like, there's that, a day of salvation, there's a time of God's favor. Don't, don't receive God's grace in vain, receive Him. He's coming after. He says it's for you. Believe him. Move toward him. Believe. Now the people ask, Brothers, what shall we do? That's verse 37. Sorry, I said it was 36. Brothers, what shall we do? God has made him, Jesus, Lord in Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What shall we do? Peter answers, He explains an appropriate response, number one, and he explains the intended recipients, number two. The intended or the the response. The response to this gospel. It's in verse thirty eight. What should we do? Verse thirty-eight, Peter answers, We'll repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what you should do. Repent. Repent. Repent is actually a compound word. Uh, Two words put together, change and mind. Uh, It's a change of mindset, you could say. It's a change of having a mind that is unaware of God, ignorant of God, numb to God, blind to God, to having a conversion where all of a sudden, your mind can see God. You, you can know God. See and know are very parallel words in, in the Greek. So, so, to say change of mind includes to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is repentance. To go from not seeing and not knowing Jesus for who he is to repent. The lights come on to see Jesus in his glory. This is conversion. This is conversion. So he says, repent. In fact, in Acts 5.31, it says that, look, God exalted Jesus to his right hand as leader and savior in order to give repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So, What shall we do? Repent, Peter says. He also says, and be baptized. And be baptized. Well, why is baptism mentioned here? Repent. uh, Change your mind from being blind to God to seeing God in faith, seeing Christ in faith. Well, Why is baptism mentioned here? Because baptism is this baseline, normal next step that believers take in the New Testament. They're baptized for the, for the demonstration of their union, our union with Christ. I'm, I'm buried with him in baptism, and I've been raised to life. When he died, I died. When he rose, I received life. And uh, I love the description of baptism in, in 1 Peter three twenty one, where it says, Baptism is an appeal to God for a clean conscience. It's not the removal of dirt from the body. In other words, baptism, in addition to this demonstration of our union with Christ in his death and resurrection, it's it's a prayer to God, Lord, cleanse me, wash me. It's a demonstration, kind of like communion is. Demonstration and acting out of the reality of our forgiveness that's ours in Christ. And of forgiveness, God promised in the new covenant, is yours. Reading from the new covenant in Ezekiel 36. I will be their God, or excuse me, Jeremiah, this is Jeremiah 33. I will be their God and they will be my people. They shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. And then Ezekiel 36 comes in. We've got the promise of forgiveness, and we've got the promise of the Spirit then mentioned in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, soft, responsive, alive, seeing. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways. Repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, forgiven, the spirit within. It's amazing. And then, verse 39, Peter just wants to clarify the massive scope of the gospel, the new covenant. And it's just, this is where I started the sermon. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. (laughs) May I stress the significance of this already? The gospel of Jesus, the promise of forgiveness, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the exaltation of Christ after his death, it's for you. It's for you and for your children and for all who are far off. It's for you. You know, as a parent, uh, <laughs> this text is a great comfort to me. As a pastor, this text is a great encouragement for me. I mean, we know—you know, don't you? You or I—we cannot make our children believe. I mean, we can't save our children any more than we can save ourselves. Where utterly reliant on God's grace to us in Christ and his mercy. And so I I love that, that verse 39 makes it really clear, the promises for you and your children and those far off, and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. It's that sovereign mercy that fills me with hope and strengthens me. With grace in the labor of love for the salvation of the next generation. So, we dedicate our children to the Lord. We pray that our children would know the Lord and love the Lord. We teach the scriptures to our children that they would know the Lord. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Bible your children. And we model for our children what living by faith in Christ looks like. You know, we we uh, delight and hope in God and they get to see what somebody looks like who delights and hopes in God. They, we show them what somebody looks like who trusts in his word. We show them what somebody looks like who worships in worship. And uh, we show them what Christ looks like as, as we love, as Christ's love is in us to love one another as he's loved us. And we show him an eagerness to confess our sins when wrong, and go to the Lord, and we show our children what forgiveness looks like, forgiveness received from God and forgiveness of one another. And in our patience, we show our children the patience of God. And in corporate worship, as I said, we we, we just show what a worshiper looks like in singing and praying and sitting under the word. I could see that and absorb that. and We model Christian character for our kids and we do all this and more out of our own worship, our own abiding in Christ and our love for our children and, and, and in hope that they would come to know God through Christ too. But we can't make it happen. (laughs) So, just the way this is worded here in verse 39 is so rich with encouragement and grace. I mean, no one, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Remember, we were here, Romans 8 30. Was it last week or the week before? those whom God predestined he called those whom God called he justified those whom God justified he glorified everyone whom the Lord our God calls will come to him <laughs> so as a, as a parent as a grandparent now as a as a people in a church with the next generation, I'm telling you, be strengthened by grace to bring the gospel to the next generation, utterly dependent on the grace of God to us in Christ, namely, that he will act in his mercy to call, to call our children to himself by faith. Those whom he predestined, he calls. Those whom he calls, he justifies. Those who he call, he justifies, he glorifies. So, lest you think God is miserly in his calling, which he's not. <sighs> Before I say that, let me say this. This reliance on God's sovereign call has fed the world missions movement for centuries. People confident of God's sovereign grace in in salvation go to where Jesus isn't named, trusting God's going to call people. I just want to say, all the more, let us lean in. God's going to call our children. He's going to call, He has has these people here. He's going to. We're going to labor, we're going to teach, we're going to love, we're going to volunteer, we're going to serve. God, call them. Now, lest we think God is miserly in his calling and saving grace. The text ends this way, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day yeah, about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your word. Thanks so much for your word that everyone whom the Lord our God calls will be saved. So we pray with expectation and hope. We pray rooted in the new covenant, the gospel. We pray relying on your promises of of generations of steadfast love to your people that you would call and save the children of our church. Our own children, our grandchildren, and the, the children here uh, collectively we pray. And, and we, we do this in utter confidence and dependence on you and in praise to you that you are our God and we are your people. Christ is our savior and our Lord and our treasure. Come, grant all that for the next generation. Through this church to this people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota.
1: Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist
0: Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.church or write us at seven two zero 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading the passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.